In season six, we're updating many of the franchise reviews we've done over the last few years based on the most recent franchise disclosure document, as well as conversations with current franchisees, as well as franchisees that closed down or had a successful exit from that franchise system. We've received a ton of insights, oftentimes off the record, from franchisee brands of anywhere from five locations to a thousand plus locations in the United States, as well as abroad. We continue to interview franchisor founders, CEOs, as well as franchisees for some of the most compelling franchise opportunities for 2023. Stay tuned to season six of Franchise Findings. Wanna buy or start a business, but not sure about the funds? Curious to learn more about the SBA loan program, as well as how you could fund your business with your retirement savings? We've partnered with Al Lesko at Fund My Franchise to support your financing needs. Mention you came from Patrick at Vetted Biz for a $200 discount on Al's services. We'll also include a link so you can schedule a consultation for free with Al so you can find out how financing your dream business will get done. You have Patrick Fandaro here, co-founder at Vetted Biz. Excited to have on Jay Pitroff. He's a franchisee of Certipro Painters in uh, Roswell, Georgia. Um, Jay, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm happy to be here, Patrick. Thanks for having me. So tell me a little bit how you left your pretty successful career in, in, in finance um, and decided to buy an existing Certipro's Painters. I, I'd love to hear a little bit about how that process uh, went down. Happy to share that. To me, it's a pretty cool story. I always thought I wanted to own my own business. I read books on, you know, different ideas, and I never really can come up with one myself. I'm not much of an uh, ingenious guy, um, but I did have an entrepreneurial spirit most of my life. Decided to part ways with uh, a, a financial institution after being in that um, industry for several years. Decided to look into franchising. What was interesting to me was uh, I didn't need to come up with some right idea to start a business or own a business. I could take somebody else's idea, take their model and their processes and their methodologies. And I'm really good at kind of just moving things along and process and structure and stuff like that. So being provided with a playbook was really interesting to me. And then I became aware that uh, 80% of franchising Franchising is actually not food service, it's other things. So I started diving in a little bit deeper. I grew up in a condo community. Uh, I probably didn't even know how to change a light bulb until I was in my 20s, embarrassingly enough. Uh, I was a golfer growing up and so forth. <laughs> so, you know, when I told my uh, friends and family I was interested maybe in buying a painting business, they looked at me like I had three eyes and uh, two dollars. <laughs> But uh, but I figured I knew customer service and project management and had an MBA in finance and a lot of skills that I had developed in corporate that were very transferable and really all I needed to learn was the trade. So uh, so far it's worked out pretty well. Awesome. And then did you work with a, an advisor or, or how did you come across uh, Certipro? Yeah, I was approached. Uh, I was actually I was doing a lot of networking. We um, had trying to you know exploring my options and trying to see what was out there. And uh, was in a breakout session from a larger networking group, an offshoot. And in that breakout session, it was uh, it was a series on entrepreneurship and owning your own business. Little that I know, it turned out it was a franchise broker that was running the meeting, and he uh, started talking about franchising, and that's when it you know, piqued my interest, and and I started to learn more about it. And then I ended up working with that uh, franchise broker after interviewing a few other folks around town that were kind of in the same business. I ended up going with them. And did you just quit your your job at the financial institution and dedicate you know 
all, all your time to finding the right franchise or did you keep your your job and kind of do the the process in parallel i we parted ways uh i i decided it wasn't a fit for me and they decided it wasn't a fit for them and and so it was kind of a mutual understanding there was a shift in management and on and on so kind of how uh, corporate america goes sometimes and then i understand you bought an existing franchise back in 2017 did you look at opening up a new territory in the greater Atlanta area? Or why did you decide to buy that existing site? Well, Surfro is the largest thinking company in North America. So new territories are pretty hard to come by over the past few years. Not that there haven't been uh, one here and there open up, right, where they've decided they want to expand out from a large city like Atlanta. Uh, I was presented with a resale opportunity in the Roswell, Georgia area, which is just north of Atlanta along with a number of other franchise opportunities that I was considering and then talking through with this franchise broker that I was working with. One was a commercial cleaning company. Another one was a commercial locksmith, commercial uh, residential locksmith company. There was an accounting service that I was considering buying a pizza plant, all these different opportunities. So within the realm of Surapro and painting, it was really just me considering this resale as a, as a that's an opportunity for me. It turns out that one of the one of the main determining factors for me on the Prona side of the pros and cons list was the fact that the residential painting territory was within the, the turf. I lived within the turf, right? So the way they do the franchising in a in a business like this, it's by zip code, and so I live in one of the zip codes that I service, which it was kind of like uh, the stars are aligned. I should probably think about that. Yeah, and like referrals and everything. It's just like, you know, the yeah. consumer, you're going to have friends that you, that can give you referrals. It's oh, gonna be I, a get, lot easier I get so mad money. when I see a neighbor with somebody else painting their house. I just want to go up to their door. Dude, what are you on. doing? <laughs> you didn't even talk to me. <laughs> I imagine a new sort of pro. I, I haven't looked at the latest FDD. I, I don't have it on hand right here, but I imagine it's like 100, 150K to get in. Um, for a resale, like, are, you, are people paying three, four times the, the owner's earnings or what's kind of standard if you want to get a, if you want to buy an existing sort of pro painters? Because imagine yeah. you have to pay a nice premium. There are uh, many variables, as you can imagine, that get factored into that. So um, it's been almost six years since I bought my business. I think that thinking has shifted slightly, but I do believe it's still within the realm of three to three and a half times uh, EBITDA uh, for the past couple of years. Uh, another way of valuating a business like this is in looking at the revenue and taking 50% of the average of the past two, three years uh, in revenue. So there are different ways to skin the cat, but as you can imagine, uh, things like goodwill in the community, brand awareness, stuff like that matters. The reason you're paying, you know, maybe three or four times what you might for a sole proprietorship is because you're buying a uh, what you would imagine is a, is a brand name with a methodology to process and everything else. So it should be a little bit easier to get it going and make money doing it versus, you know, the the hamburger stand on the street corner type thing. And when you bought the Sitter Pro in, in Roswell, Georgia, what was like the employee structure like? What, what were you getting into? Yeah, so I inherited a small team of an office manager and a residential sales uh, associate. Fairly small in terms of the employees. And then, oh, let me think, it was probably three to four painting crews that were also part of that team. And I know Serta Pro has different models, probably varies state by state, but for your your structure, was it mostly 1099 contractors or mostly 
W-2 actual employees? Yeah, so we're fortunate in Georgia because uh, we don't have a whole lot of restrictions around uh, whether the, you know, the worker needs to be an employee or, or a sub. Uh, we have both. It's a very seasonal business. So this time of year is uh, a lot slower in terms of the lead flow and the market demand, especially for residential painting, uh, than uh, in the spring and the summer. When we're past the holidays and past the winter season and the sun comes out and flowers are starting to grow and people start thinking about picking their house, the phone starts ringing off the hook in March and April, if you will. Um, and so it does require some level of flexibility and being able to ebb and flow based on the demand. That's the reason that I feel fortunate that uh, you know we're still, as of today, able to have 1099 workers in the company. But we, we typically have both. And some people would prefer down an employee come pick their house. Yeah. And I guess, you know, with all the government like incentives, like PPP and different loans, like uh, there have actually been some pretty nice benefits to having employees versus subcontractors in terms of benefits to the owner. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and so COVID was not the worst thing in the world for our business in terms of the growth. And yeah. it sounds <laughs> egregious to put it that way. And I'll try okay. different ways of It'd be, it'd be worse if you were saying that like June 2020 or like right. end of 2020, but it's 2023. It was a tragedy and tragic. I have family members affected, but in terms of just uh, the business and our intentions for growth, et cetera, uh, we grew exponentially during a couple of years during, uh, of COVID. And I was able to get some PPP money to help uh, fuel that growth and invest further in uh, the business. What would you say the growth's been, if, if you don't mind sharing, like since you first acquired the business almost six years ago, back in 2017? Yeah. So we grew within the first four years, we grew three times over. Yeah. So so I when I bought the business, um, you had asked me about personnel earlier and an office uh, manager and a sales associate. Uh, I now have one an office manager, two, two production managers, uh, along with a commercial project manager, a residential sales associate, and I've hired a commercial sales associate. Uh, my plans are to grow the company uh, another three times over over the course of the next four years uh, and put a, another management layer in place and so forth. So uh, it's been a lot of fun and uh, we're, we're not done growing by any stretch of the imagination. That's awesome. And what are some ways like Certipro franchisees or, or the franchise where corporate has helped you, you know, three extra growth, which is super impressive in just six years. Yeah. One of the cool things about uh, being a part of a franchise is especially a large operation like this one. Um, there are 300 and I, if I'm guessing now because it's changing all the time, they're always adding franchisees, but there are about 380 to 390 uh, Certipro franchisees in North America. I like to think that I'm friends with almost all. And so just imagine the support network that that comes with having that many friends that are basically looking to grow and create wealth and help people the same way that I am for the most part. So we can commiserate with, with each other uh, over uh, a beer at the bar or over lunch. We can celebrate our successes with each other. Uh, and we can learn from each other. It's really cool. We just got back from our annual conference in California uh, last week, actually. It was in Southern California. And just great to be able, as opposed to being on your own. Um, and then as far as the corporate uh, support is concerned, one of the things that you've got to determine before you buy a franchise is, or start one, is uh, assessing the return on the investment of your royalty um, because you are taking a yeah. cut. 
what are you getting back? Right. You're taking the cut of what you make every dollar. You know, you're giving so many pennies to the franchisor. It is a worth, and uh, CertiPros has exceeded my expectations. I'll, I'll, I'll say that in terms of the return on the investment for my royalty. They really have their act together. Uh, it's a great company, amazing culture with uh, really strong values. Uh, the technology is top notch uh, that's available to me in terms of, you know, putting estimates together. Uh, the the chart training, uh, their training programs are phenomenal, well thought out, always evolving. Uh, lots of in-person training, lots of online training, uh, and the people are phenomenal. So it's it's been really good. And I imagine there's a lot of synergies with like the parent company First Service, where they have another what four or five like Class A franchise brands that I'm sure they're sharing best practices, operational marketing, et cetera. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. In fact, I was just at the Roswell Rotary meeting last week. Uh, it's a network of of folks that get together every week and have fried shaped in and there's a speaker and then they do lots of things nice. in the community. Anyway, uh, came upon and met a, a, a new franchisee of Floor Cupboards International, which, which is oh, yeah. actually- I'm familiar with the brand. Of, yeah, a uh, phenomenal brand. Uh, he just bought about a year ago. And uh, so we're going to go have coffee. But those, those connections are invaluable. Um, I feel pretty fortunate um, in that respect with regard to first service brands, because the opportunities are almost limitless in terms of being able to branch out, uh, network in, and um, get and get. Have you ever thought about like taking on another franchise or kind of a side business in like the the quiet months? Like I've spoken to some franchisees that have seasonal businesses that will have like a Christmas lighting business. Um, over, you know, a 60, 90 day period. Have, have you given that much thought? Uh, not really. I mean, I'm all, my brain's always working, but it's usually within the yeah. confines of uh, what I'm doing right now. I anticipate over the next few years uh, that I'll start to branch out and seek other opportunities uh, to do other things and generate, you know, income for myself and my family. Really, to be honest with you, to this point, we, we've done so much growing and we have so much more growing to yeah. do. Opportunities are just, me and the team are always brainstorming on new ideas and stuff like that. So it definitely keeps me keeps me occupied. That makes sense. I mean, I think given your situation and what you've said, like you've three acts with one you- solution, you see the light to three acts with the same solution. So right. you could like spread yourself thin trying to sell other things and, and not hit that where it sounds yeah. like you have a really defined roadmap. Uh, and you just have to execute now. In the exactly. Next few years. Yeah. On that, uh, we we do the EOS uh, model. You know, traction. It, it, folks have heard of that. And so we we're, we we're, did that, and then we switched to scaling up with Vern okay. Harnish. Okay. But yeah, I learned yeah. a ton about yeah. on EOS. Yeah, it's been good. Um, and we're just a year into it. But like I said, down the road, a few years, uh, get a general manager in place. Uh, how the business be more more like it resembles a passive income uh, for me definitely would potentially look to writing a book or uh, you know starting another business or you know doing some consulting things like that and so that's those are the types of opportunities that open up to you when you're able to have some success uh, doing something like what I'm doing now right and I think sadly a lot of franchisors and, and folks in the media sell prospective franchisees that you can have that like right away and you can have a semi-absentee business model and make a ton of money yeah. without putting in the work. Yeah, that's, that's 
I guess part of what I was alluding to earlier, I, I see <laughs> people buy it fringe. I was thinking they're going to be able to replace their high-end income doing this and have a lot more fun doing it. And and my uh, philosophy, I think, aligns better than better with what reality is. And and that it goes something yes. like this. In my corporate life, I was betting not just on myself. Actually, I was betting much more on the company and higher ups, et cetera. And in this, I'm betting on myself. And if you've got self-confidence and belief in yourself and your ability to make things happen and, and make customers happy and grow a business, uh, this is a much safer and better bet than put, putting my money even in the market. Um, and so if, if, you know, if you look at it as an equity play and we're an investment, uh, in other words, um, and that at the end of my investment period, just like a stock, when I cashed out, it's worth more than the market or other places I might've been able to put that money. Uh, that's probably a better way to look at it. Your first few years in this, even when you buy an existing company like what I did, they're hard. It's uh, fairly grueling. Um, you got put in the work. People ask me if I would do it over again. I can't, and I refuse to answer that question because I'm not done. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I'll answer that question. Once Ask I, in 10 years while you're writing the book right. and like why the yeah. options have like opened up even more. Exactly. Yeah. And was it like, how was like the decision making at home? Like where you had, you know, you could have easily got another job at a top bank in Atlanta, given your profile and like, yeah. and I imagine that was like, kind of might've been a tough conversation or just like a lot to kind of think over, you know, going into entrepreneurship uh, later on. Yeah. I, I think I agree with you. I probably could have easily gotten another job if I wanted. Um, yeah. And uh, truth be told, I was looking for another job. I took some time off, uh, went and played some golf and did some different things with my family and stuff like that. And then when I put the suit and tie back on and I went back out and I started interviewing for jobs. It was the first time in my life I ever interviewed for a job I wasn't given an offer. Uh, so I started to reflect on that and I, it became clear to me that this wasn't the same as it used to be. So I've got work right here now. More importantly, they're probably picking up all the fact that I'm not really that excited about going to work for their company again. And the doing energy you give off. My life. Yeah. And it's hard to hide that. And, and Definitely. so that's why I started getting creative and thinking more creatively about what the next phase of my career might be. Um, what would you say has been like the biggest surprise over these last like five, six years of being a business owner? I'm having way more fun than I ever anticipated. I, I was expecting and anticipating success, probably even at a level higher than what we've achieved, believe it or not. But in that, more fun than I was expecting. The other surprise on the uh, less positive, enthusiastic, and enthusiastic side would be the behaviors are much different in, in the blue collar world than they are in the white collar world. Getting used to that was something that it was a, it was a challenge for me becoming aware, um, startlingly aware of some of the behaviors, wrapping my arms and my head around that, and then understanding, getting to the bottom of how to work through problems and situations that deal with uh, what really is a different kind of culture set etc. I think, yeah, a lot of people can resonate uh, with that, that have, you know, worked in, in the blue collar space, whether as like workers or business owners, where you really have to take care of what I've seen, really take care of your workers above and beyond. And you might have a worker that's not able to make rent one week or one month or family not issues, you know, whatever financing or just emotional support where, 
in my experience working at, at JP Morgan, you know, you don't have that type of, of issue, but it's like, at least what I've seen going above and beyond for your employees and they really yeah. need that. And with that, you gain incredible loyalty. Oh, absolutely. And it's not just money. Uh, yeah. We, we do that. Uh, I pay my, my, uh, painters very well, um, in relation to my competition. Uh, but we do a lot of things. We have events. Uh, we had a Christmas party at a taqueria down the street. And I mean, there was all kinds of food and great. And they brought their kids and their wives and husbands. And it was just a blast. A really, you know, creating a family atmosphere like that. We have summer gatherings at the office and we get bounce houses for the kids. And so uh, every month they come in for for a production meeting and we, we give out awards. We have a painter of the month. So I could keep going on and on about uh, what I'm very proud of, which is a culture uh, in what we call the Surpro Circles, uh, creating a workplace of choice for the painters. Uh, Patrick, to your point, I, I couldn't support what you said enough. It's extremely important. I don't have a business without them. I look at myself to some extent as a marketing company and I'm selling, I'm marketing and selling those guys at guys. So finding them, and keeping now is of the utmost importance if you're going to have any kind of success in this kind of a trades business. Yeah, I, I love how you you said it so succinctly. And um, I think a lot of people are looking to get into franchising, really, especially if you haven't managed many employees. Yeah. Because, you, you know, you could have been in finance, tech or whatever field selling medical devices. And right. now you're going to be managing a few jacked reports. And hopefully as you grow, scaling up and... Yeah. Unless yeah. you're all in and, and, and really having a high degree of empathy, I think it's tough. It's going to be hard to make it work. Exactly. Yeah, it is hard to make it work. I mean, I had a $300 million P&L at SunTrust. <laughs> and this is, you know, I mean, on paper, it's it's peanuts and it's a it's a simple business model. You know, at SunTrust, I had 40 vendors here. I've got, you know, five or six and the ins and outs go something like this. You do a paint job, you get a check. My expenses are... Pay the payer, buy the pay. So uh, it's incredibly straightforward as it relates to the business and the um, the operation of the business. Uh, but what we can't minimize even for a second is how important it is to create a culture and an atmosphere where people want to be here. I, I have payers coming. We do our handoffs uh, for the jobs the, the upcoming week every Friday morning. From 7 30 to 8 30, they're able to come in here and we're available for that entire hour. And we review their jobs with them and ask them if they have any questions, et cetera. Uh, they come in every week for that. Some painters that know they're not even getting a job still come in on Friday morning because they want to see us. So, how beautiful is that? I mean, it's pretty cool. But I'm not, it took us years. I mean, it three, four years to start turning the corner. Uh, I probably, I'm guessing I had. 50 to 75 crews come and go in my six years wow. here. Uh, the the 13 crews I have working here now have all been with the company for over a year. It takes time. Impressive. Yeah. And when you bought the business, was it like a struggling business or was it at least some cash flow? Uh, was there a struggling business from uh, from a financial perspective? So um, the gentleman I bought it from, the company was making money. But it was still in the early stages. So it had been started as a nature for about six years before I bought it. So, but they were turning a profit. And then you, as the new owner, came in really to find the culture, brought up retention and 3X. And now there seems like a nice trajectory to grow further. Yeah. I, you know, the way you just described it, Patrick, it sounds like we kind of hit it. We jumped, we jumped over the part where 
I've made a bunch of mistakes, lost a bunch of money. (laughs) Uh, I would love if you could enlighten us, like what would you have done differently? I know it's, it's, it's easy sometimes being a Monday morning quarterback, but. Well, there's something to be said for learning on the job. Um, Yeah. We've been a lot of uh, the band. Um, there's a phrase, uh, making payments to stupid university. I made several tuition payments to that, to that college. <laughs> uh, but I didn't make, I like to think that I didn't make the same egregious mistake twice. Um, so when exactly. it's in a pocket book, uh, you know, when I tell prospective franchisees, Serpro, uh, corporate will send, uh, books that, that they're talking to about buying a franchise to me sometimes just to get another perspective from an existing franchisee on what kind of decision they're getting ready to make. And, and I'll tell them, you know what, you want to make sure you've got enough uh, initial and working capital for the first year, year and a half, so that you're able to sleep at night and uh, not worry so much about making payroll, et cetera. And you can invest in the business the way you need to in order to grow and stabilize, et cetera. That's something that comes up a lot, like with the franchisees I've interviewed, where it's like, get your finances in order before opening or acquiring the franchise, because it's going to be a lot yeah. easier doing it beforehand. Because when you really need it, you're probably not in the best financial situation in the last couple of months. And it's either going to be crazy rates with non, non-traditional non lenders or, yeah, you're just not going to get the, the financing you need. Thanks. I want to talk to you when you're in the financial situation I was. I still had a, a decent-sized mortgage from you know my banking job. Two kids that I was preparing to send to college and car payments and, and all of that stuff. Uh, so it, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy. So yeah, that's good advice to secure access to uh, liquid funds before you decide to pull the trigger on a decision like this. Like I said, you, you've got, it doesn't need to be cash on hand or your account, uh, but just to be able, ability to get within 24 hours to be able to get your hands on cash if you need it in the case of an emergency um, or just unexpected expenses. Like I said, making mistakes and, you know, it's hard to plan for that first year and a half. Um, so, but you can hedge your bets and create a contingency plan by way of making sure you have enough access to capital to get through those first number of months. Um, so that you could focus on what you need to focus on, just grow your team and your culture and build it the business and so forth and making it profitable, hitting that break even uh, so that it's not as much of a concern kind of in the later periods. And when you finance initial uh... The initial purchase, um, was it like a SBA loan, cash savings, 401k rollover? I did the 401k rollover. Uh, I did not uh, initially secure any additional credit. In fact, I didn't use all of my retirement funds to purchase the business, but I did set up an account with the funds that I left behind uh, to be able to access those funds via ACH next day in case I needed it. And there were times when I needed it. I like that. And I think the 401k rollover, if you choose the right franchise and like you, you assess the risk like you did, where it's like the return is going to be a lot higher than the market. I know Serta Pro, low failure rate, et cetera. Like it can make a lot of sense. But yeah. if you choose the wrong franchise that's not a Serta Pro and doesn't have as high of a success rate, you're putting all your eggs in a, a basket that is actually pretty risky. Yeah, I'd, I hate to think of what that would look like for <laughs> But I felt pretty cosmic going in and uh, I've gotten very supportive. You did your due diligence. I feel like I did, I, but it helps to have a supportive spouse too. My wife was, yeah. I brought her through the process. We did the interviews, a lot of the interviews together, uh, made sure she was comfortable before I pulled the trigger, wanted to make sure she was bought in with my decision. 
and ha- she has been ever since. But um, but yeah, no, I've heard those stories you're talking about. Yeah, I've heard a lot of family issues, especially when the business isn't going as well and where the spouse wasn't all in and wasn't informed during that initial decision. And right. um, it can cause a lot of strife. And I think everyone that's looking to invest in a franchise definitely involve your, your spouse or at least open the door to involve as much as possible and be transparent. Yeah. I don't know if I should share this or not, but I, I'll go ahead and do it. Uh, I think I was in that year and a half and I was on that, you know, the curve, right? The um, I think it was in crisis of engagement on the, the, the curve that, you know, the ups and downs of, of uh, a new engagement. And I came home that evening and I said to my wife, Colleen, I said, you know, I'm, I'm starting to rethink this decision. But again, this is a year and a half in. And I thought she was going to punch me in the face. <laughs> and I got a very short, uh, crisp lecture. Uh, and it set me on the right path again. But that's the awesome. kind of support structure I'm talking about. I needed that. And I'm glad I got, glad she gave me a little bit of a tongue lashing because, like I said, I'm having a blast now. It just you gotta you gotta get through that first period. It's interesting to hear that that first period. You know, in your experience, whether it's existing business that you're taking over or a new, you know, there's pros and cons to both. Like existing, what we've seen is usually the first year the revenue actually drops a bit. 10 to 20% change of business ownership and then starts hopefully getting back up. But you know, that's, you're not walking into something that's going to be on autopilot. You're rolling up your sleeves and, and have to basically create or transmit the culture you want with your employees and your organization. Yeah. You know, um, we stayed flat the first year and then we started to grow the second, second year. There is something when I looked at the business that I was preparing to buy, um, the Surpro of Roswell, some people might have seen the low survey scores and the, uh, you know, some of the issues with respect to how the business was being run as uh, negatives uh, that may have deterred them from from pulling the trigger. I looked at them as positives, and I saw a number of things in the business bringing my experience in. I could change fairly quickly to uh, to make the business more successful and more profitable. The other thing I was I was thinking about, I got to know that. Uh, prior owner fairly well, over the, as you can imagine, over the course of a few weeks. And I thought I was pretty confident my attitude was going to make a difference. But I guess the last thing I'll say on that is if if you can, in the trades, when was the last time you hired a contractor to do something and they showed up late? So if, if I could show up on time, <laughs> speak well, sound somewhat intelligent, dress okay, yeah. at least an haircut, and and then deliver on what I promise, those people are going to call us back. And so more than anything else, the reason that we've been able to grow exponentially is because of that, because we take care you of- show up and do the for, job. We, we mess up, we but we always make it right. Um, uh, that's my commitment, you know, to our to our customers and and the team that that I've been lucky enough to surround myself with exudes that, and uh, we all operate basically with that kind of a mindset. So, do you have any like customer guarantee, like a hundred percent guarantee, or just that if there's an issue with the 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 paint job, you're going to redo it? So there's there's actually a written warranty. It's a legal warranty. If you read through it, you'll realize it was written by lawyers. And and so there are some there's some catches in there. Um, we don't cover decks, for example, right? So so if we stain a deck and a week later it's peeling, I'm not obligated to go back out and stain the deck. Well, I don't feel good about that. So yeah. if I get a call like that, I go stain the deck. You do I it. go take care yeah. of it, right? So I have 
I've got a different mentality that doesn't necessarily align 100% with the legal warranty that we put forward. But there is a two-year warranty uh, on any peeling or chipping paint or anything like that associated with poor prep work. So you go above and beyond. And I'm sure, you know, short term, there's fiscal costs of that. But long term, you get higher Google reviews and that one customer. If someone did that and came two weeks back and they didn't have to do and didn't charge me, like I'm going to tell a lot of people about that. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the 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 bet we're placing with with our approach. And it's it's a pretty safe bet, actually. Uh, Roswell is a fairly close knit community of folks that I mean, they talk to each other. <laughs> so a lot of the leads that we get are word of mouth. Uh, we get a lot of customers call us back. And we also have another phrase, customers for life. We're looking to create customers for life. But we're also looking to have those folks talk about us to their friends and neighbors and have them call us and, and come paint, paint their house or their commercial structure, for example. So referrals are, I mean, we're a referral-based business. So What would you say in terms of percentage of your revenue? It's about 10% previous customers, about 10% word of mouth. A lot of the leads still are internet, you know, uh, direct mailings, things like that. Um, I'll tell you, it's, it's a lot more than it used to be, like quite a bit. And I'm sure, you know, that goes up to 20%, 20%, like, your cost of of you know, to acquire a customer is going to just drop astronomically. Yeah, you got it. It's uh, my cost per lead uh, right now is about two thirds of what it was a couple of years ago. Uh, wow. And mainly because that ratio is is shifting. And um, so I'm excited about that. It's one of the many different levers in a business that you can in a business like this that you really have to pay close attention to and influence in order to make it work and be as profitable as it possibly can be. Well, Jay, I've really appreciated how open you are. And I'm sure this is going to help a lot of prospective franchisees, even current franchisees, especially in those first, whether it's franchisee or regular business, the first three years are tough. They are. And uh, I really appreciate you opening it up. Um, Do you have any concluding thoughts for prospective franchisees, franchisees? I I guess I would share this. It's in my experience, if... If you've got confidence in yourself and an entrepreneurial spirit and you're fairly competent as it relates to implementing a process, uh, franchising is definitely the way to go. Pick a good one with a good, like I mentioned, support network, good corporate structure behind you, uh, and uh, you can really flourish and have a blast like I am. I love it, Jay. And yeah, Serta Pro, the brand, I mean, it's like, well, I know Serta Pro you know, together with some of the other first service brands like California Closets, they've been around a long time. People know them. They might be in a niche category, but they have that brand recognition. And it's a little different than a a franchise that just started a year ago. And maybe there's not as much you're getting back from those royalties that you're paying and what can be a pretty high upfront franchise fee too. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I'm not sure about the other first service brands, but I can tell you Serapro's been in existence for 30 years. Um, so not a new player in the market. That was another influencing factor in the way of uh, me deciding to buy the the franchise was it definitely looked to me like they had their act together. And I'm glad I was right about that. Yeah. And it's easier to sell to your family too, where it's like, Hey, I'm leaving this proven bank to go with this other proven concept, but now I'm going to be the owner rather than I'm leaving this bank. And I could have got another job at a bank easily that was high paying. And I'm going to do this, you know, random startup that unproven market, unproven product, and it could do really well, or I could waste the next three years. (laughs) Right. But it does appear like a much safer 
uh, that than a lot of other things that might have been along the entrepreneurial track. Well, Jay, thanks so much. I really appreciate all that you've shared today with us. All right, Patrick. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. You can leave us a review if you enjoyed the podcast episode. If you hated the podcast episode, let us know what you thought as well as what future episodes you'd like to hear. Feel free to also drop me a line at patrick at vettedbiz.com and subscribe please to our YouTube channel, Business and Franchise Opportunities by Vetted Biz. This has been Franchise Findings Podcast. Thanks for listening.